You know, why do they say cash is king? It's very direct. It's very simplistic. It allows choice. It allows you to make decisions for your family, not have someone else make decisions for your family. And so it allows you to sit and make a decision about whether or not you're going to buy apples or pay for the bus. Because don't forget, it wasn't like people were flooded with income all of a sudden. This was like about giving them a little bit more to try to help them meet their needs during the pandemic. In 2020, as the COVID-19 pandemic began, the city of Chelsea, Massachusetts faced record economic and food insecurity, with thousands of residents lining up at city-run food distribution centers. To meet the need, the Shaw Family Foundation joined city leaders in a simple idea, give people cash and let them spend it however they want. The initiative known as Chelsea Eats became the largest guaranteed income program in the country, and the results demonstrate what happens when public policy programs are centered on trusting and empowering those they serve. I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. I recently had the opportunity to speak with Boston Globe columnist Shirley Leung about Chelsea Eats on her new podcast, Say More. It was a great conversation covering everything from the project's initial inspiration and conception to the impact it had on the community, to the award-winning documentary we produced about this work. Today, in a special bonus episode, we're excited to share that conversation with you. Jill Shaw, thank you for having us today, and I love being in your podcast studio. Uh, Thank you. I'm so glad you're here, and it's nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. So if you met someone on the street who had never heard of guaranteed income, How would you describe it to them? I would say guaranteed income is direct cash to individuals to serve a particular purpose, right? And and that is somewhat different than universal basic income, which is direct cash to everybody. Andrew Yang ran for president uh, in 2020, right? And he marketed universal basic income. Yeah. But what's being rolled out across the country now is guaranteed income. Yeah. Why, why, why the switch? Why the nuance? Well, I mean, I think Andrew Yang was trying to, he was trying to start a conversation, which was a smart conversation to start, right? How do we take care of each other? Universal basic income, in his point of view, everybody gets $1,000, I think, every month. Yes. That's well, right. does everybody need $1,000 every month? I think the mayors who are doing, you know, these explorations are saying, no, but some people need something additional to what they have every week or every month. And so that's what's being deployed and that's what's being tested. Yeah, I think it's a, a smart strategy yeah. because you're right. Not everybody needs $1,000 a month. And plus the cost is astronomical. That's going to end up being the big point of discussion is, OK, well, how do we fund anything that's scalable? So your foundation mm-hmm. helped fund this program in Chelsea to the tune of $1.5 million. How did you get interested in this idea in the first place of a guaranteed income program? We got interested in this particular program that was being conjured up in Chelsea because of food. We had done all of this work in the Boston Public Schools. There, as we were exploring how do we help the Boston Public Schools, we heard from teachers and parents and principals and students, we don't like the food. And it showed up in the numbers because they didn't eat the food. And so we were really missing out on what we could have gotten from the USDA because you get paid $3.41 every time a child takes a meal. And sometimes children would take the meal and throw it away. 
So we got the money, but we didn't get the outcome that we wanted, right, which was a well-fed child. And so we said, well, let's think about all of those things. What can we do for $3.41? It ends up you can deploy, when you multiply that by 52,000 kids twice a day, you can create these beautiful food service lines. You can employ three times as many people. You can put kids at the center of the solution. I like saw so many kids walk up to the food line and just smile because it was this beautiful rainbow of foods. You know, and sometimes they would say, I've never had food like this before, you wow. know, in this beautiful, positive way. And so that got us very close to food in trying to have impact on kids' lives. And so when the pandemic hit and those food lines started to develop in the city of Chelsea, right, the most tragically hit by the pandemic of any place in America. Yeah, I think the highest number of COVID infections per capita, right? Right. I mean, it was just crazy to watch that city, you know, so swiftly. So many folks who work there are service providers in industries that just shut down, like the restaurant industry, the hotel industry, the airport. So everybody lost their jobs all at once. The governor had great leadership during the pandemic. And he was trying to help Tom Ambrosino, who is just was such a beautiful He's leader. He's the city manager of Chelsea. City manager of Chelsea. Solved this problem. We talked to Tom, and the first thing we helped him do was think through the supply chains because, yeah, you remember the grocery stores were kind of bare. Right. It's very hard to get right. food if you were a consumer. All the food was sitting in the supply chains that went to restaurants. And then they set up this park where they would break apart what they got, rice and beans and all these other things, and put them into smaller packages and put them in boxes for consumers to take. But the problem with that is it's a lot of people. It's a very heavy lift. And it forced people to have to, you know, come out when they were afraid to be out of their homes. And yet they were hungry and they needed access to food. And so I think Tom and some other community members kept saying, you know, what if we just give them grocery gift cards? And so he called us up and said, what do you think about this? And how would we deploy it? And can you help? And we had been interested in guaranteed income, and we had been following the research, and it did feel like, you know, generalized, the research suggested that this was a very impactful way to support people. I thought that perhaps you hadn't really known much about guaranteed income, and it was the city of Chelsea that brought the idea to you. But I thought it was really interesting that you'd already started thinking about it. Was it before the pandemic? What drew you to start thinking about maybe there's a way for us to get into guaranteed income? If you've worked in technology, then you've discussed singularity. And singularity is the point at which artificial intelligence and, and the human consciousness intersect. It's always like way out there. What are we going to do when people don't need to work anymore? But how do we give them purpose? And how do we make sure they're taken care of when computers are taking care of everything? So we started chatting with folks who were experimenting with the stuff and trying to learn and trying to understand where's the pushback and is the pushback right? It just sort of all happened. It was this confluence of events that were horrible, but it felt like, wow, this is a very exacting way to help solve part of what's going on in, in, in Chelsea. So explain to people why is it better to just give families money rather than relying on a traditional programs like food pantries, food stamps, or housing vouchers? Why is money better? You know, why do they say cash is king? It's very direct. It's very simplistic. It allows choice. It allows you to make decisions for your family, not have someone else make decisions for your family. And so it allows you to sit and make a decision about whether or not you're going to buy apples or pay for the bus. Because don't forget, it wasn't like people were flooded 
with income all of a sudden. This was like about giving them a little bit more to try to help them meet their needs during the pandemic. I remember in our very first conversation about the Chelsea program yeah. called Chelsea Eats, yeah. you said something to me that really stuck in my mind, which is, it's yes, we're giving cash anywhere from two to $400 a month, but it's more than money. It's about empowerment. Because so many of the welfare programs, people have to jump through so many hoops to constantly prove that they deserve the money. And this is no strings attached. We're going to give you the money. You know, it's income based, right? If you meet that, we're just going to give you the money and we're going to trust you with the money. And I think that's the real power of guaranteed income compared to traditional programs. Yeah, I mean, I do too, right? I mean, there's a lot of dignity in saying to your neighbor, I want to support you, but I trust that you'll make the decisions that are most beneficial to you and your family. Everyone has their story, right? And we don't necessarily know it. And so it's important, I think, to trust individuals. So what do you say to critics who believe that government should not be in the business of giving out money and that all you're doing is discouraging people from working? Well, the discouraging people from working, I mean, we have data on that right now. So so we had the Harvard Kennedy School and Jeff Liebman study this. Jeff was an economist for Clinton and for Obama. And part of what he discovered is that that's just not, in fact, true. People worked more if they got the guaranteed income in the Chelsea program. More people were employed. Wow. As compared to the other group who had applied for the program but did not get it. So we had this very significant, you know, 2,000 people participated in the program. 2,000 people were just like those people but were not able to participate in the program but did participate in the focus group. And so we learned quite a bit, and that was one of the things that we learned. So there's not a lot of data that says that that's true. Why didn't that happen? Why do people keep working? I don't know the guaranteed income. There's ever going to be enough money for it to solve for everything. It was a game changer for folks, but it wasn't going to have anyone not be motivated to work when they could work. These are all people who worked, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so they weren't motivated to sit at home. They were motivated to be out in the world. They just had lost their jobs because everything got shut down. And we know how they spent it. They spent it on food primarily, 70% on food, and then they spent it on utilities and transportation, clothing. They also spent it locally. A lot of other cities are doing very similar pilots with federal relief money. Historically, when you create these social programs, I mean, it's hard to take them away. Yes. But again, this federal relief money is not going to last forever. So are you setting up unusually high expectations in Chelsea? rolling out these programs, giving them this extra money that we know isn't going to last forever? No, I mean, I think that was why it worked so well, is they were very honest with their constituency. You know, they said this is a program. I think the program originally was going to last for three months, and then it got extended and then extended again. But people knew that. there was It was total transparency, right? It's exactly the way the world should work. People have belief in these supports, but they understand the parameters of them and they can plan for it. There are, I think, maybe more than 100 guaranteed income pilots yeah. in America right now, yeah. including several in Massachusetts, Boston, Cambridge, Somerville, all in various stages of up and running or about to be launched. And these are not all government driven. In some cases, they're fully funded by local philanthropists right. here in Massachusetts. So 
why are wealthy Bostonians underwriting these experiments? I mean, is this an acknowledgement that traditional philanthropy isn't working in terms of lifting families out of poverty? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for anyone else. So I I don't know exactly why folks have decided to put philanthropic dollars in the direction of guaranteed income. I could postulate that it is to understand whether or not it's a mechanism that should be lobbied for, right? And so, and, and I think it's to add to the national conversation. At least that's why we did it. My conversation with Jill Shaw continues after this quick break. So let's talk about the future. Yeah. (laughs) So the pandemic made the economic case for guaranteed income programs. But the further we move away from the pandemic, what is the political landscape like for this idea? I'm so confused by the political landscape in general that I have no idea what is in the hearts and minds of the folks who are leading our country. Locally, I think that it's great that mayors are experimenting with these things, right? Because there's also, you know, this organization, Mayors for a Guaranteed Income, which is helping mayors share ideas and having conversations at large about this. I do think that there is a tool that can sit in their toolbox. Funding is always going to be, you know, the larger issue is how do we fund something like this? But I do think at the mayor level, which is where a lot of things happen, or at the governor level where a lot of things happen, it's a really important tool, and I'm glad that lots of people are playing with it. I hope we start breaking paradigms because we haven't moved the needle very much on things like hunger and housing and employment at a fair wage. And, you know, there's lots of things that we pontificate on, but we don't seem to break the mold. And so could this be a tool that's a game changer? You know, probably. But I couldn't speculate as to how. And I don't know that right now anyone's having a conversation that is grounded in how do we take care of each other. All these experiments are happening. Yeah around the country, relief money is going to run out because a lot of these pilots are funded with relief money. Yeah. So now what? Do we look back, you know, 20 years from now? Oh, wasn't that a nice experiment? Yeah. I mean, how do you move this idea forward right. so that it continues? So should we be having a conversation about whether or not we're using money to support people in different ways? Yeah, we should definitely have that conversation. It's the right conversation to have in order to best take care of one another. But I'm not pessimistic about that. There are so many people who are interested in taking care of other people. I mean, I do do eternally believe that America has more people who love each other than hate each other. And so I do think we get to an answer. And I think that what comes out of all of these experiments that are using government funding is a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. And, and I don't think that goes away. I think that mayors and governors will reapply that. People who got the great ability to be a part of those things, right? We help spread the word about it and share what we learned and try to inspire others. I just think things move slowly. I mean, Nixon had this halfway across the goal line. Wow. It's pretty forward thinking. Imagine if we had just applied a guaranteed income as like a standard of support back Half yeah. a, more than a half a century ago. Yeah. I mean, we should, someone should go play that out and see, you know, what, what kind of state we'd be in in terms of poverty and hunger right now. 
So next year, another presidential campaign is yeah. rolling around. Are you gearing up to be the Andrew Yang of 2024, at least when it comes to promoting a guaranteed income? <laughs> All right, well, I'm not running for president. Um, you know, it does need to be a part of the conversation how we're spending money right now to take care of people. Like those are some big buckets in our overall national budget. And we could certainly question whether or not we're spending it correctly. I mean, education, healthcare, social supports, those are big numbers in our federal budget. And so, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if it'll become a part of the national conversation. It'll take one of the candidates to bring it up the way that Andrew Yang did. You don't have to wonder. Yeah. Jill. I just, I'll just sit <laughs> yeah. in the audience and ask the question. Exactly. Yeah, you could do that. You could run commercials. Yeah. Yeah. You could do a social media <laughs> campaign, you know. I can see it already. I'm not running for president, but yeah. I am for guaranteed income. <laughs> well, man, if I could have that kind of influence, I would just be, I mean, that would be spectacular. But I, you know, in any way that we can be a part of the conversation, we certainly will. I mean, do you see guaranteed income? Let, let's say it does move forward. I mean, yeah. do you see replacing traditional welfare programs? I definitely think we should look at that. Should we be giving out food cards in, in lieu of making people go to food pantries to get to get food? You know, what's going on in that system, right? There's I did a whole podcast about, you know, the underlying who wins in, in a food pantry system. The answer is big food. Um, and <laughs> you can so, say it a little louder. You don't have to whisper. <laughs> but, but so so I think, yeah, I think we should peel it apart and, and look at all of it and see whether or not there are things that we're doing to support people that cost a lot. One of the things that really struck me about these programs is that so much of it is about helping people with basic necessities, right? Yeah. Putting food on the table. But what struck me, what was even more powerful was that some of these people, perhaps they could put food on the table, but what they couldn't do mm. was save money to buy a car or yeah. to buy a home yeah. or save money to go back to school. Actually, I was thinking about this one woman who actually wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And you know why? Mm. She was using the money to go back to school, college. Yeah. yeah. So she can get a degree. I mean, it to me, the power of the program is economic mobility. Yeah, that is something that you don't hear a lot about with food stamps or with housing vouchers. But yeah. that's the power of guaranteed income in my mind. Yeah, I, I mean, there's another story that I read about. There was a study done on guaranteed income with a program run in Africa, and one of the families bought four goats. And then they bred the goats and the goats became multipliers, right? And they were, they were able to sell some goats and they were able to use some of the goats for food and for milk. And yeah, I mean, people, people know how to take care of themselves. I want to close by asking you, how did it make you feel to be part of the country's biggest pilot of guaranteed income and then to do the documentary and to see all these families' lives who are changed and then to see the city of Chelsea continue it on their own. That was like an amazing honor to think that we had something that could help other people who are deeply in need. So that was incredible. And it was heartbreaking to hear their stories and to understand, like to imagine getting a phone call that says, don't come in today, and I don't know when you're going to come in again, when you count on that income to put food on the table. And by the way, your child can't come to school either. I mean, it's just, we put 
everyone, all of us were in this new paradigm and we weren't really willing to admit that we were in a new paradigm. And so that was incredibly troubling. And so to be able to think about this challenge in a very different and new way and to have expectations and for them to be met, it was great. It was great and happy, you know, by the end of it. I was glad that we thought to partner with a couple of amazing people who produced the documentary because I think it's a really important story to share. You know, it was really important to me that we showed Chelsea as a place that was full of humans and with the same human spirit that we all have. And I think they did an incredible job doing it. It really showed how important it is to lean in and, and acknowledge people and, and to help them. Jill, thanks so much for having this conversation with me today. And thank you for letting us crash your podcast studio. Absolutely. Shirley, thank you so much for spending time with me today, asking me questions. It was very fun. And it was great to have a conversation with you about I this. I hope we can do this again. Me too. Thank you for listening to Catalyst for Change. And thank you to Shirley Young for the great conversation about guaranteed income. For more episodes like this, check out the Say More podcast from the Boston Globe. And stay tuned for our next episode of Catalyst for Change. Have a great day.